just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Who are the MVPs of the 2020 fantasy season? How about the fantasy Cy Youngs? How about the busts of the year? And what about 2021? There's nobody better to ask than Ray Murphy and Todd Zola, and ask them I will, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September the 25th. It's show number 29 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season, our last scheduled show of the year. We might have some podcasts this winter, depending on what happens. And if we do, we'll sure let you know about that via our usual methods. In the meantime, I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have a terrific end-of-season roundtable edition for you, featuring Baseball HQ columnist and co-general manager Ray Murphy and the man for all fantasy baseball media, Todd Zola from Masters Ball, Rotowire, ESPN, and Sirius XM. We're going to discuss the 2020 season, what we learned, the big stories, and our fantasy awards, the Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVPs, and those busts I mentioned. And we'll sneak a quick peek at 2021, discussing potential new first-rounders, some possible sleepers, and maybe a prospect or two. It's a roundtable edition with two of the best in the business, and me. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The season is wrapping up, and we've got to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this end-of-season roundtable edition, part one of our discussion focusing on the 2020 season. First, our introductions. Todd Zola, welcome to the 2020 end-of-season roundtable. Well, I'm, I'd say I'm glad to be here. We talked a little about this before. I, I, I'm glad to be here because I love doing this, but it also means it's the end of the season. Yeah, so that's, that's a, kind of a bummer. It's a mixed blessing for sure. Ray Murphy, you welcome back. Hey, we made it. Yeah, we made it through. So, uh, that, speak. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, Hold on. Right. Yeah. Still a few days to go. I should uh, tell our <laughs> listeners that we're recording this on Thursday morning, so we have uh, a whole weekend here. And as we know, in today's day and age, anything can happen. We could have a huge outbreak that costs uh, 60 games over the last few uh, days of the season. But uh, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, and then they're going to no, move into no. the bubble. And before we get started talking about the 2020 season as far as players goes guys i'm curious what you think of the playoff setup and i'm wondering how interested you're going to be to watch uh, todd what do you think of the expanded uh, getting closer to the nba and nhl all the time playoff format in a vacuum i don't like the expanded playoffs but on the other hand i'm i'm less i'm i'm less i know disgusted than some people other than other people are i i love watching baseball and yeah, I care about the World Series champion, especially if it happens to be a team I root for. But I don't think, I mean, it diminishes the champion, this, that, the other thing. I just love watching the game. 
So I'm not as bummed out about the fact that people think the champion could be diluted. I'm, I'm actually taking this year. It gets a total mulligan. Do whatever you want to do. If you know, going forward, if it stays to be 16 teams, it's not going to ruin the experience for me. Cause I don't think, I don't think you go through the 162 game season to, you know, to, to crown a champion and the champion is what it's all about. To me, it's what watching baseball is what it's all about. Ray, uh, we know that uh, your team is not going to be participating in the tournament. How interested are you in uh, watching what goes on, and especially with the greatly increased number of teams that are going to be involved? I am sure I will have no trouble getting interested in the games next week. And, you know, the way this is set up with best of threes, by the time we get to next weekend, we're going to be back to the regular size playoffs or even more teams eliminated. We'll be down to eight by the first weekend of October. I mean, I'm with Todd in terms of this year, in terms of 2020, on my list of things to get outraged about, this doesn't <laughs> move the needle at all. I'm also with Todd that I assume this is going to stick around and that will not sit as well with me. But, hey, if this season is all about experimentation and they want to see how this works out, go for it. I will enjoy it. My concern about the playoff structure as it's set up is indeed what Ray has mentioned, which is that the, the owners are going to look at the situation. Uh, of course, we know that the uh, the amount of money that gets distributed is greatly tilted towards the players during the regular season and towards the owners in the playoffs. And uh, the owners probably like that setup, and they might see their way clear to trying to figure out a way to expand the playoffs and not divvy the players in. And with a ramifications that could have for uh, collective bargaining, for labor action, all those kind of things down the road. That's what one of the concerns that I have because uh, these two sides don't play together well and it's been a very confrontational sort of thing, less so in the Tony Clark era, I have to say. But uh, at some point, the players are going to realize, hey, the lion's share of the money is being generated in a uh, spectacle in which we are the stars and we're not getting any money out of it short of what uh, what they get for the pension fund. Does that bother anybody besides me? Well, it's funny you say that the it, it's been a little less uh, confrontational than the Tony Clark era because, you know, one way to avoid confrontation is just to lay down and get walked over all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what some people say for sure. But, uh, you know, the other thing, it's funny you mentioned the um, – the, the, players making their money in the regular season and the owners in the playoffs. Obviously that's a big driver of everything, but you know, one thing that I haven't explicitly seen discussed that I assume is going to end up on the table at some point is does this 60 game season get people off of the sanctity of 162? And as we start talking about a new labor agreement and that sort of thing, you know, are they going to go from 162 to a smaller number to make room, more room for the playoffs and the TV package for that, as you say, I mean, because you know, something's got to give if you want to jam all these extra rounds in and not play in November. Well, they're doing that this year. I mean, it's just That's been limiting I mean. the off days. But, yeah, I mean, the owners may see it. I just have, I mean, I'm, I live in a utopia, I know. But, you know, the players have to figure out what they can get on their side to give the owners the extra playoffs. So, in a, you know, in a normal two people talking, you'd be, they'd be able to figure it out. I'm not as convinced that they'll be able to figure it out. We shall see. All right, let's move on and uh, get to the round table reason that we all gathered here this mm. morning. Uh, guys, I, I want to start by talking about the short season uh, in fantasy terms. And uh, Ray, we'll start with you. What did we learn about fantasy strategy or tactics from the short season that we might be able to look at applying down the road when we get back to a full season, whether it's 148 games or 152 or whatever it turns out to be? 
I think my macro lesson from this year or the macro trend that I'm going to spend the offseason ruminating about is uh, the, the dilution of pitching. I, if you think about it from sort of the back end of our fantasy stabs, we've, I've been talking for a few years now about the fracturing of the saves marketplace and how saves are getting distributed among more pitchers and there are fewer closers who can take and hold a job for a full season. I, that trend has continued this year. But now in the short season, whether it was the expanded rosters or the short ramp up or just continuation of existing trend, we're seeing the same thing on the other side of the pitching staff now with the starting pitchers. I ran some numbers last night and, you know, in terms of wins, you know, I, it, the, the dilution is, you know, you know, pretty dramatic. And then I went looking to see why the wins were so distributed the way they were. And I came up with, um, there were only 39 pitchers this year who faced as many as 23 batters in a game on average. So, you know, that's a starting pitcher who can go even just two and a half times through the lineup. And there was only a little more than one of those per team. So that's why wins are so much harder to come by. That's why counting stats are spread out among so many pitchers. And like I said, it could be the short ramp up. It could be the expanded rosters. Obviously, there have been a lot of injuries on pitchers even more so than usual. But, you know, we've, we're going from a, a structure where we're starting pitchers, closers, and guys we didn't care about to a much more revolving door of guys who, you know, switch roles day to day, week to week. And we have to react accordingly. And how we manage that, I think, is going to be, uh, you know, a continuing challenge, both in terms of our league rules and in our strategy, in our own team strategies going forward. Do you think, though, that uh, at least some of the uh, shortening of starter outings was caused by the fact that they had a limited time to get ramped up, uh, as you mentioned, and that maybe if they have full spring training, uh, the 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 full period to get their arms into good shape that might this might be an aberration and that we go back to business as usual next year or is there something that the teams have realized about the efficiency and effectiveness of starting pitchers when they're held to shorter outings and maybe they'll go more outings but less innings per outing something like that I mean I think it's probably both certainly there was a necessity element of it but I guess I I'm having trouble seeing that the necessity goes away next year especially when there was no minor leagues and, you know, so many guys who were off in this alternative camp throwing Lord knows how many pitches and Lord knows what percentage of regular uh, regular competition. How many guys are going to show up next year who haven't thrown a pitch in anger in two years? And what's that going to do for their innings cap for the season and that sort of thing? I feel like this management, you know, this workload management issue is, you know, it's not going to snap back to where it was. It's going to be an ongoing concern. Certainly going to add value to pitchers who can routinely get into the sixth and seventh innings for sure. Uh, Todd, what did you uh, learn this year from the short season that you think might apply strategically or tactically next season? Yeah, a lot of what I was thinking about Ray Ray mentioned, but I think the the bigger point, and and specifically the the, the saves and the shortening of the, uh, the, the, the reuse of the starters. Now, before giving my answer, I'm a little encouraged by the, uh, the the number of rookie pitchers that were promoted and looked pretty good. Because I still think the number one option is a good starting pitcher. Number two is managing your managing the you know, bullpen game, and number three is a is a cruddy starting pitcher. So, but as the, as Ray mentioned, with the 
who knows what next year's going to be like anyway but with the you know spring and in, in, in the the slow the, the low number of innings this year it's it's not even without even with even with more good starting pitching it's still going to be managed so we may not see it till future years but the thing about the the strategy and tactics from the short season is this was just such a bizarre season and within the bizarreness there was bizarreness with home teams on the visitors park and in Toronto with, with their situation, et cetera. So I hope that we don't look at something and apply it to next year because it happened this year, because it's, it's, it's an apples and oranges sort of scenario. The one thing I do think that was necessary this year, and it, it, it's always necessary, but it was sort of amplified this year was the uh, flexibility of lineups with multiple position eligibility and 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 having a middle reliever in your reserve to put in for a bad starter, et cetera, it's always important. It was multiplied this year because of the the shortness of weeks, you had less less chance of error. But I don't I I don't think you can just hand wave and say yeah in a full season I'll make it work out. I think you need that flexibility throughout the entire year. So if nothing else, it it, it hammers home how much you need flexibility within your lineup on a weekly basis to make it as strong as you can. From my position, guys, I think when I watch this short season, what what I what I'm going to take away is I think there's going to be a real change coming in, perhaps as soon as next year, in how saves are distributed. In the mm-hmm. in the free agent era, I looked at this. Uh, I, I define the free agent era as post Messersmith, so '77 to last year. An average of 12 pitchers per year had 30 or more saves. Now, if you prorate 30 saves to a 60 game season, you're looking at around 11. And uh, as we speak, there's only seven pitchers, so mm-hmm. just over half as many pitchers are are high volume in saves acquisition. And we've seen Tampa. I think they they're up to 12 pitchers who have at least one save each, and Everybody else in baseball is looking at how that's working, and they must be concluding at some point that uh, what we've been talking about for years, go with higher leverage situations for your best pitcher, that kind of stuff, is going to start playing, and the saves category is going to change, I think, and then how we respond uh, do we start including holds? Do we figure out some other reliever measure entirely? I don't know. I think that's going to be interesting. Moving on, guys, uh, other than the shortness of the season itself, what was the story of the year as far as you were concerned in fantasy baseball? Todd? Uh, I think it's the paradigm of uh, AL versus NL hitters and pitchers. Now, I think, Ray, you've probably been you know, pulling your hair out too with the first set of projections. Is there a DH or is there not a DH? Because that has just been so huge with the, uh, the, the, the NL ERA is higher this year than the AL and the, the batting in the uh, – the, the, the hitters in the National League have been better. So I think in, in the old draft AL hitting, NL pitching, when you go into a, you know, you sit down at a draft table, throw that out the window. I don't think it's reversed. I think it's kind of 50-50. But to me, it, no, you can predict what, you know, you can make a guess as to what happened with the at universal DH. But to see it play out, it's now in the numbers. So it's no longer discussion you know objectively i mean uh, it, it's no longer subjective we've seen it and 60 60 games is enough that what happened is can, can be considered real so uh you know the, the adjustment and how we uh, how we view the different leagues and mixed leagues with respect to uh which side of the you know which side of the ball we want to be drafting our players 
For me, guys, uh, again with pitching, I, I noticed that a lot of starting pitchers this year, and I'm sure we all noticed this, had really extraordinary ERAs and whips and pitching metrics. Again, I look back through the free agent era, we had 41 starting pitchers, 24-plus uh, starts with ERAs under 2.5, whips under 1. That's roughly one per season on average. This year, 10 starters had uh, 250 sub-1 decimals. Uh, that's, again, looking earlier this week. Same thing goes for strikeouts per nine. That that's way up. That's been trending upwards anyway. But obviously, a longer season would push some of these pitchers up as far as the decimals are concerned. But to me, it seemed unusual all the same. And I wonder if it's going to change how I look at the value of starting pitchers next year. Because if you knew that Shane Bieber was going to repeat this year, next year he's clearly the number one pick overall because of the benefit that that kind of uh, extremely low decimals has on the entire uh, success of your pitching staff. Ray, what? was your story of the year for fantasy i you know piggybacking on some of the same themes you know we talked about the um saves in particular i can use that as an example but you know to to me we sort of knew this going in but there was gonna there was no opportunity to be patient in this season right you couldn't stash somebody for five weeks hoping that they graduated into a closer role or something like that the season just wasn't set up that way but Things even expecting that going in, the amount of churn that was required on the roster, and the amount of stuff that was available and helpful in Fab every week was overwhelming to me, and much more than I expected. And to me, that's sort of one takeaway that I don't think is going to change. In that, as these closer roles or as jobs in particular change, because teams are less patient and they're promoting prospects and they're, you know, swapping guys out of the lineup, you know, there's, there's less of an opportunity to be, to be patient, I think, even in 26 weeks. And, you know, we used to worry about drafting closers early because if you needed to get one in season, either you're going to have to get somebody in advance and sash them, or you're going to have to pay a monstrous amount of your, of your fab for somebody who already got named the closer. I swear there were new closers on the market every week this year. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't pay 400 for 400 fab out of your thousand for all of them or everyone runs out of fab. So, you know, I, I, I think there's, a, I think there's a mindset change there, you know, but on the macro level, you see, you know, you, you can read articles in any industry right now, whether it's technology or healthcare or education, what have you that say, you know, coronavirus is not, you know, turning over industries as much as it's accelerating trends that were already in place. And we're, Three years removed from that night when Sergio Romo made the one inning start for the Rays in Anaheim again, you know, as as, as the first quote unquote opener, and the, the apple cart has now completely been turned turned over, and I think we're just in like the mature phase of that now. You know, it is this relates to my first answer, obviously, but you know, the, I the strategic implications you can spend all offseason trying to trying to peel back that onion. And I think it's going to be interesting to be thinking about those kind of things because uh, when when there are huge changes in the underlying structure of baseball, that's going to inevitably lead to huge changes in the underlying philosophies of how to game those particular systems. And I think that's going to make this particular offseason a very interesting one from the point of view of uh, fantasy theorizing and the kind of things that we get in uh, Baseball HQ's uh, Roto Gaming columns and uh, strategy columns. I think it's going to be a real fun and interesting offseason, and I'm really looking forward to it. Let's move forward to the uh, players, you guys. Uh, I'll start with this one. 
uh, I'm interested in what one or two players did the most to help your fantasy teams this year. And as I said, I'll start by nominating Teoscar Hernandez of Toronto and Kyle Lewis of Seattle were both really instrumental in a pretty strong Tout Wars American League team and a couple of mixed league teams that I have. I, I don't need to go through the uh, accomplishments of these two players, I don't think. But these are guys that uh, I identified back in March at the Tout American League auction, which is my first draft uh, of the uh, preseason. And I liked them going in. I liked them more coming out. And I'm sure I'm not going to get uh, Kyle Lewis for a buck next year or Teoscar Hernandez for three or four or whatever it costs. Uh, Ray, who is the, what couple of players really shone for you? Yeah, Teoscar was going to be my first uh, nominee. I'm certainly not surprised you mentioned him too. We've talked about him a couple of times in you know the AL news segment. Uh, I'll throw a hat tip to uh, Jose Abreu though, who's uh, you know, we're going to talk about MVP later, and, you know, he factors into that discussion. But, you know, for a, you know, 30-year-old presumably, you know, labeled as a as a mid-tier first baseman to go out and hang out a, a uh, you know, 329, 19-homer, 57 RBIs in 60 games. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we can have fun prorating a lot of these numbers, but, uh, you know, Jose Abreu has had a monster season. Todd, who are your uh, favorites from your teams this year? Well, I, too, was – was, uh was very into Jose Abreu. I just, I thought he was undervalued by the market. Uh, but to give a, another name to, uh, to be a little bit different. I also thought the same of Marcelo Zuna and he's helped me out uh, a lot as well. Been playing in real big parks throughout the course of his career in a much hitter, much more hitter friendly park with a, a lineup around them that didn't do quite as well as I thought they do, but still was fairly productive. And I, I, uh, you know, got, I enjoyed the discount on Marcelo Zuna and uh, loaded him up on, on on several of my either mixed or NL only teams. Turning to the other side of the coin, Ray, what one or two players did the most to hurt your fantasy teams this year? Uh, let me start with Nolan Arenado, who you know I generally try not to ding guys who underperform due to injury, but I'm not sure. Maybe we'll learn later on or next spring how much of. Uh, his entire summer was ruined by the uh, shoulder problem that's got him on the DL now, whether he's been fighting something like that all along. But, you know, for so long now, Arenado has just been money in the bank as a mid to late first round four category stud. And this year we get 253 and eight homers for, you know, eight dollars of mixed league value for a guy who was a first or you know, late first early second round draft pick. Uh, I had a bunch of them and that stung. Todd, uh, who killed you? Um, other than myself, <laughs> uh, I got two guys, a pitcher and a hitter, man, what a major mistake Mike Miner was. Um, I, I thought he was the third in SP three and in mixed leagues, loved the, loved the park, loved the rotation and it just plain didn't work out at all. So I'll take the L on Mike Miner and Ray JD Martinez. That wow. Guy. Is is it is it because he wasn't able to look at video? I don't know, but I think I I was well I, again I was I I thought I was ahead of the market on JDM, uh being able to get him in the you know to me a first rounder in the second round wow wow wow, uh not so much right now so uh, that JD Martinez really crushed me from the on the the batting standpoint. 
Mike Miner was a disappointment for sure. Uh, last year, uh, 359 ERA, 124 whip. This year, his whip stays roughly the same, and his uh, ERA bounces up by a run and a half. And uh, it's hard to say which one's which because the year before, with the Royals in a limited appearance, uh, ERA way under three. Boy, I, I don't, I don't know how you figure Mike Miner except to stay away. I think in future, uh, for me, my I had a bunch of St. Louis players in a bunch of mixed leagues, uh, especially in my weekly points best ball, the Eras ball. Uh, experts league those st louis players really hurt me because they didn't play and uh, in best ball you want all the guys playing every week to maximize your chances of getting points from them of course later in the season they were really helpful uh, because they were playing lots every week and amassing big scores but the big scores are only weekly so all those weeks when they weren't playing was really tough i had christian yelich and cody bellinger as my first rounders in those uh, mixed leagues. But the killer for me this year, I had Edwin Encarnacion on all three of my teams. He's batting mm-hmm. under 180, I think. He's got a 250-some on base percentage. He just killed me all year in this league. I, I think Edwin Encarnacion could be done. He can still hit the odd home run, but, boy, other than that, he doesn't look that great. He needs the universal DH and to be picked up cheap by an NL team. Yeah, that, that might help, but uh, he's been DHing this year, and he hasn't looked good doing it. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Ray Murphy and Todd Zola in our annual end-of-season roundtable. Guys, let's move on to our Fantasy Baseball Awards, and let's start with the American League Rookie of the Year. And Todd Zola, who's your pick? Uh, you talked a lot about him, so I'll keep it fairly short, and that is Kyle Lewis, I think, uh, uh, came through. And the hidden aspect of the numbers Seattle is basically running off the bus and Lewis is running too, four out of five. And that's better pace than he had in the minors. He's got good sprint speed, uh, 79th percentile. I know that doesn't translate into run uh, stolen bases all the time, but the point being he's capable of it. If St. Louis, if Seattle continues to run, that just adds another element to an already exciting game. Yeah, I, I suspect Luis Robert is going to get a lot of love in this category. He's got some stolen bases, some home runs, but I'm with Kyle Lewis as well. He earned the same $20 as Robert has in American League-only formats. They're also tied in 15 mix around $22. The difference is Lewis cost me a buck, and whoever got Luis Robert, I think, who's a third-rounder to 20 kind of dollar player i love getting value from players as you'll see as we go through this whole exercise and uh if i can get 22 dollars for a buck for me i'll take that over 22 dollars for 22 dollars ray what do you think yeah these were the two names on the tip of my tongue as well like you said in terms of dollar value they uh by hq calculations they came out identically i too gave the nod to lewis because of his lower draft day cost and also you know, there's a little, there's some risk with both of them in terms of contact, and Lewis may have uh, benefited more in terms of outperforming uh, his expected batting average. But you know, I, I think Lewis and Robert both have some uh, downside there going forward. We're seeing it already with Robert, but uh, you know, they could both converge toward 250 next year, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, you know, they're, they're both really cool skill sets, and. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind owning either one of them going forward, but I, t- I tipped the cap to Lewis on this one. Moving along to the National League Rookie of the Year, I'll start here. I was torn, guys, between the Padres' Jake Cronenworth, who's really been a tremendous value, uh, eighth-round value. I think he's I don't think he was drafted anywhere, really. Maybe reserve or waiver pickup. 303's got four home runs, three stolen bases 
in 40 fewer at-bats than full-time regulars. It's a really great performance for a guy like that. But I'm going to go with Milwaukee reliever Devin Williams. He's a fifth-rounder in value by HQ's method, also undrafted. Listen to this. This just blows me away. When I checked last, 47 strikeouts in 23 innings. So it's more than two strikeouts per inning. And an 039 ERA, 067 whip. Uh, I'll take that every day and twice on Sunday. Uh, what do you think, Ray? Who's your National League Rookie of the Year? I thought I was being all cute picking Devin Williams. I thought I was going <laughs> to stun the field. You guys are too smart for me. Uh, he's actually, he, I think he, since you pulled those numbers, PD, I think he's actually thrown two innings and struck out five more guys. It's now 52 strikeouts in 25 innings. An ERA of zero point thirty six, and my favorite my favorite stat on his sheet is one you didn't mention, so I get to mention it. He's got a hundred percent strand rate. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what happens when you strike out two thirds of the guys you face, right? <laughs> exactly. Boy. The, only, the only runs he's given up on home runs. Um, I, I, amazing season, you know, one of the all time you know sixty game quirks that someone in uh, someone's going to go down the baseball re- reference rabbit hole in like forty years and be like, what the heck happened here? Well, I can hardly wait to see his Stratomatic card uh, down the road. It'll uh, oh, be, be super popular, especially with guys who are willing to bring that high strikeout capability into leverage roles rather than just into uh, you know the closer type situations. Todd, uh, who's your National League Rookie of the Year? If we haven't spoiled it already, uh, I also was on Williams. I didn't. I, I didn't. I thought I might sneak him through. I'll add one more. Well, I'll, first, I'll just mention I was impressed. It was a shorter amount of time in the league, but I like what I'm seeing out of Alec Bohm as far as someone that maybe if he was up sure. the whole year would be in the conversation. But just to give the final stat in, on, on Williams, you're right, Ray, he's up to, I think, 52 strikeouts. That's 46, around 46th overall. When you figure, I know this isn't really what happened, but that's one starting pitcher from every team and one starting pitcher from half of the, half of the teams are ahead of this guy on strikeouts. That's just silly. You know, one and a half start. You know, one and a half starting pitchers per team have more strikeouts than a guy who's pitched twenty-five innings. Since you guys are apparently looking at uh, his stats, and I'm not, uh, how did he do as far as um, uh, leverage situations, getting wins and saves? I had three last time. I had three wins. I don't think I, I don't think he picked up a save, but that's just it. Just speaks towards Milwaukee's usage and Josh Hader and and that sort of thing. Yeah, if he was, if that was. Even probably three saves is that his dollar value would probably be up in the thirties, and he'd be, um, you know, he'd be uh, you know that much higher on the uh, season long rankings. And the the great thing too is because you know what you guys have talked about earlier as far as the the paradigm with pitching is he's on he was on a lot of fantasy rosters and was used a lot. He's the kind of guy you needed to as your ninth or even eighth pitcher because you didn't like the matchups or you know you just didn't want to use a guy that was gonna uh you know get four innings and may not get the win etc so not only did he have a great year it didn't go to waste at least it shouldn't have gone to waste he should have been on teams and been active throughout the course of the season let's move ahead to the uh, Cy Young winners uh we'll start in the American League uh Ray Hoosier's American League Cy Young winner Oh, Beebs, he's so dreamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got, got, got to go with Shane, Shane Bieber here. Just a, uh, you know, not out of nowhere, but just a, uh, in terms of uh, counting stats and uh, overall, you know, impact on a fantasy roster, the massive strikeout innings and strikeout totals and everything were just so impactful. Like, uh, I think it was Todd, 
one of you guys mentioned earlier that you know he might have he might have merited the number one overall player in a uh, in a full season based on the numbers he put up. I mean, for a starting pitcher to hang up uh, strikeout per nine north of fourteen is just nuts. And sure, it would might have been questionable to see whether he could have sustained this over one hundred and sixty two. But this is. Uh, you know, these numbers are eye-popping for – they're basically almost Devin Williams' numbers in a starting pitcher. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Todd, who do you think? I'm uh, I'm with Bieber as well. As, uh, and I – you know, you can – you know, but he was drafted high. I – by my numbers, he was the number one player, or at least until the, until this point, he is the number one player in all of fantasy using a, a 69-31 split. Let's not get too granular Zola right now with – time to have some fun and not talk that that deep but anyway i have the number of like plus uh, he was i you know our values are somewhat similar i mean he was just leaps and leaps and bounds ahead of the field i mean trevor bauer was you know within shouting distance especially after last night but even so uh he was just you know he's just 17 dollars and my numbers ahead of the number two guy so that's just silly um so if you know if we are looking for more of a value guy would be Lance Lynn, but man, what Bieber did was just silly. Yeah, there's something to be said for a, a method of valuation that I've used over the years in doing roster assessments is don't just consider the value and don't just consider the profit, but add the value and the profit, and all of a sudden when you do that, even even given the relatively high cost of Shane Bieber, he's still a lap the field for sure. Uh, top 10 in a dozen pitching metrics that I found, uh, d- metrics and uh, scoring categories and leading all of baseball in many of those categories. So I, I think Shane Bieber is going to be the easiest choice of everybody we talk about uh, here today. Over to the National League, uh, Todd, who's your National League Cy Young winner? So combining what you just kind of alluded to, compa- uh, both both dra- both draft capital and how he did, I'll give the you know he wasn't the highest ranked pitcher for me, but I'll give Dynelson Lamette the uh, the award. You know, adding in, uh, uh, factoring in where he was taking relative to the other players. My vote would have gone to Denelson Lamette as well. He's having a splendid year from an eighth round ADP. But I think I'm going to give my vote to Corbin Burns in Milwaukee. I, I don't think he was drafted at all. And he's neck and neck with Bieber on a lot of the categories except wins. The only starting pitcher with a FIP under two when I wrote this down. And he was leading baseball in the fewest hits per nine. He's been around a $30 pitcher and probably didn't cost his owners anything except maybe a couple of bucks in fab or a reserve uh, round pick. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to dispute that PD. He a lot of people are on Corbin Burns. I'm but just late, going by the yeah. ADPs. Late, uh, he late, wasn't on late. The- late, but I think you know they just uh, whatever you know we don't you know more important things to talk about but Burns was on a lot of decent sleeper lists a lot of injury industry analysts were uh, were were pimping him early. Fair enough. Ray, who's your pick? You know, the uh, I assume the uh, public official Cy Young vote will come down to Darvish versus Bauer. And like Todd said, Bauer had an outing uh, middle of this week that might have given him a leg up. We'll see if Darvish responds one more time. Uh, but yeah, in terms of you know the value and the, the, the unexpected fantasy output, I was between LeMay and uh Lamette and Burns myself. Uh, I was going to tip the cap to Burns, uh, so let's uh, let's give him two votes to make him the winner. Sure. <laughs> no, actually, I, he was yeah neck and neck, absolutely. And I don't think you know Bauer was kind of leaps ahead of the field too. 
Um, and if he, he may get a start Sunday, especially if yeah. the playoffs are on the line. And if it's up to him, he'll take it. He, you know, he wants to be in a foreman anyway. So uh, his name may or may not come up again a little later. American League MVP. Uh, let's talk about that. Uh, let's start this time with Ray. Uh, I'm going to go back to Jose Abreu in the silly season uh, he had that I uh, I talked about earlier. Just a uh, just just a massive uh, you know four category fantasy contribution with uh, you know he's sitting at 330 and if he hits another one he's going to be on 20 home runs and 60 RBIs. Uh, you know from a ADP of 77. Uh, you know, that's a, what, a fifth rounder that's uh, returning first, ra- f- first round value. Fifth rounders that return first round value win you leagues. And I would imagine Jose Abreu did a bunch of that this year. I bet he has. Todd? Um, I am, hmm, I'm trying to figure out, uh, PD, who you're going to choose. You were, you were actually, you were, uh, in our, in our roster, you were actually going to go first. And I was going to assume you took somebody and then take somebody else. So uh, I'm going to assume you're still going to take that guy. And I'm, my, my somebody else is Luke Voigt. And uh, he, almost almost as, uh, in the same tier, maybe a little bit tier below uh, what Jose Abreu did, but similar production from an even lower, even less draft capital. So I'll go Luke Voigt and assume you're going to take... Luke Voigt. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, Teoscar Hernandez, the other guy. I thought you were going to Oscar, yeah. Yeah, Teoscar no, you, Hernandez. You sniped uh, me... Uh... <laughs> I know we talked about Abreu, and he would be my pick, I think, in most seasons because of the performance that we've talked about. But as uh, Todd mentioned, eight rounds of difference in the pick, and I think that really matters because if you if you put together the the combined cost of either player plus a second player, I think you're better off with Voigt plus a fifth rounder in Abreu's spot as opposed to getting Abreu plus one of the other 13th rounders. And from that point of view, uh, value is so important in in fantasy baseball, especially when it comes to deciding who wins. I don't think you can go wrong with either of these guys, frankly. And I do like the fact that Abreu has so many batting average points on Voigt. But other than that, they're pretty equal. And like I said, I think if you balance out the combined cost of two players i think uh, voight looks a, a little more valuable than abreu does so over to the national league mvp i'll start this one this was my hardest call in the end i went to san diego and i took manny machado i had him just nosing out the flashier fernando tatis who slowed down a lot in the second month of the season and i also gave uh, honorable mention to freddie freeman in atlanta i just like machado's batting average more than Tatis's four extra stolen bases. And, uh, of course, Freeman didn't have any stolen bases to speak of. So uh, I'll take Manny Machado, and, and I'll live with the choice. Uh, Ray, who did you like? Uh, I went, you know, maybe not the truest, uh, you know, not the most exciting value pick in the first rounder who returns the first round value. But I wanted to get a chance here to talk about Trey Turner, uh, who's had a, a, a really, really good season, even though it's come about a little bit oddly. He was in 340 with uh, double-digit home runs and stolen bases. And I got to admit, when I was um, researching this, there was a narrative, even as recently as about the end of August, how, yeah, sure, this is what you expected from Trey Turner, right? All the power without the speed. But he's kind of gone nuts and stolen nine nine bags in September to uh, Mm -hmm. sort of get back in the more traditional Trey Turner mode. And he's my – he's HQ's – top-ranked hitter right now in terms of uh, year-to-date dollar value, you know, still could change this weekend. But, uh, 
you know, for a mid-first rounder to come out as the number one hitter overall, you know, once again, I'll take that. There's something to be said for a first rounder who gives you first round value. Uh, Todd, you got one of us or you got one of your own? I have one of my own, and this one, this isn't a, if they don't take this guy pick, I'll take this guy. I'm going with Corey Seager. And it's, he, he, people weren't all that excited about Corey Seager coming into this year. And he's not running, but everything, he's just doing everything else. And if you take a look at the, the little stat cast, you know, uh, you know, the, the red blue thing that they do, man, there's a lot of red and red is good. And the exit velocity and the hard hit percent and the barrel, but they're all, they're all like almost, almost a hundred percentile. They're over 95th percentile each and every one. So that means at least, at least this year it was supported, whether you would carry that through 162 game season or not, we may, you know, we'll never know, but he was not lucky this year. It's just a matter of how much skill he retains and how much we give him credit for going into next year. So based upon where he's drafted, and let's see, where do I, uh, where did he come out for me as far as, I have him as the 15th best hitter, which probably makes him top 25 overall. I'll take that, I'll take that, you know, eight or nine round uh, profit any day. Moving along, uh, how about the American League Fantasy bust of the year? And Todd, since you did such a good job explaining Corey Seager's value, who is your bust for 2020? Um, I've already mentioned it, and that was J.D. Martinez. And I try to avoid injury, players on injury, and uh, maybe his feelings were hurt, not being able to look at video between between at-bats. I don't know, but uh, it was just – he just looked completely lost. Um, and and I, I don't – I can't explain it. And I, it, I was higher on him than the field, but the field was still pretty high. He was still a second-rounder. So, I mean, and I – you know, thought again, thought I was getting a bargain, uh, turning out I was getting a bust. So um, I'll go with JD. I'll go with JD Martinez too, for all the same reasons that uh, Todd has mentioned. It's been a really disastrous season for him, a 215 batting average. I think he's only maybe a six or seven dollar player by HQ's methods, which is okay if you draft a guy in the you know 16th round, but. J.D. Martinez went in the first round in a lot of leagues, and certainly by the second he would have been gone. And uh, J.D. Martinez has been a huge, huge disappointment. Uh, and I wonder if it's partly because if you're a good player on what was a good team and then you watch them slowly dismantle it and they send the best player in the last 20 years in the franchise somewhere else. So we've got two votes for J.D. Uh, Ray, you going to make it unanimous? Yeah, I am. And, you know, I guess my only further reflection on this was, you know, if you think back, you know, 17 years ago to last offseason and all of the hand-wringing about the Astros and cheating and, you know, which Astro was going to be most devalued by this, who who would have come up with that J.D. Martinez was going to be the one most negatively impacted by the Astros cheating scandal and the, you know, revisions to how you can use video in-game? You know, just when we think we had this game figured out, they changed the rules. (laughs) Well, you know, maybe – Ray, maybe you can better explain this because you can. It, the rule is there's no video room. I mean, there are you can see teams in the dugout with tablets and they're looking at video. But I, maybe the Red Sox because they lost their video guy, they just couldn't get the same. You know, they, so the rule was there's no there's no separate video room. Uh, so like maybe he just couldn't get the same information. And and again with the, this video guy being suspended, maybe they aren't able to replace him or something. But I don't know. This we'll probably talk about it if if not 
privately, you know, later on on a, on a, on a podcast. But the number, the, the amount of the level of subjectivity we're going to have to put into 2021 projections. Um, my 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 partner at ESPN, Tristan Cockcroft, used the word uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to ditto that. Over to the National League Fantasy Bust of the Year. Uh, I'll lead off with this one. Eduardo Escobar of Arizona was an eighth-round pick who returned negative value. Uh, so far, f- just four home runs last time I checked, uh, under 40 runs plus RBIs in a single steal, and a sub-Mendoza batting average. And honorable mention to Javi Baez, a third-rounder also having a terrible year. Uh, Ray, who's your National League Bust? Uh, this guy's qualified, but I also picked him so we could extend the video theme a little bit. Uh, that's Javi Baez, who has also been terrible and has also been mouthing off about his inability to watch video of his at-bats during games. So I I don't think it's something Red Sox-specific, Todd. I think it is the rules that they can watch video, but I, I don't believe they can watch video of the current game. So, um, you know, maybe we need to do a poll of major leaguers and find out uh, which ones are complaining about this and move them down our draft lists next year. Or maybe we just need the rules to change back. I don't know. But, um, you know, <laughs> Bias has also been terrible, and Bias also says he misses being able to watch video of his at-bats in games. So, you know, two makes it a trend, right? Todd, uh, is this go- yours going to be a Netflix pick as well, or do you have something else in mind? <laughs> no, are you guys, are you guys sitting down? No, I'm not, actually. <laughs> You may want to. You may want to, Patrick. Okay, all right. And anybody out there, if you're driving, I want you to pull over now. Um, my guy is Kettle Marte. Of course. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. two, he's got two homers in one steal. Not last night. Not last week. Not last month for the season. I mean, you know, and, and 287, okay, fine. So, um, you know, jokes about how much he's been my, my fan, fanboy aside. That is just silly. Two homers and one steal on the year for a guy people were elevating into the, I don't know, second and third round. There's my bust. Interesting discussion so far, guys. Let's take a break, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about some 2021 player guesstimates, I guess we can call them. Ray Murphy is a columnist and co-general manager at BaseballHQ.com, and Todd Zola writes and broadcasts at Masters Ball, Rotowire, ESPN, and SiriusXM. We'll be back with our look ahead at 2021 next on Baseball HQ Radio. But before I go, I'd like to talk about baseball on the radio. I've been listening to baseball on the radio since I was a kid. Remember under the covers with the transistor radio pressed to your ear and then you'd wake up and the battery would be dead? It's become a lifelong habit. I still listen to games on the MLB audio app and on Sirius XM. And what an amazing array of choices we have to listen. And even though I have the extra innings package and streaming video, I still think radio is the best way to enjoy the game. I remember after I started playing fantasy baseball when I was living in Regina, Saskatchewan in the west of Canada, many a night my league mate Cal Sletton and I would drive around in the countryside south of Regina trying to find a spot where we could get a clear signal from a little tiny radio station at 660 on the AM dial out of Williston, North Dakota. And we'd sit in the car and smoke cigarettes and drink beer and talk about our league, all while listening to the Twins broadcasts with Herb Carneal and John Gordon. They were really bad Twins teams in those days, but we didn't mind. We also got the occasional Jays game, broadcast out of the town of Weyburn, Saskatchewan, on 1190 CFSL radio, picking up the feed out of Toronto, of course with Tom Cheek and Jerry Howarth. 
I remember the night of Game 6 of the 1992 World Series. I had to work a night shift. My VCR was broken, so I recorded the radio broadcast off a local Regina station that had picked it up. And of course, I got to hear this call, my second favorite ever. Two balls and two strikes on it. Here's the pitch on the way, a swing and a belt! He was right about that. Joe Carter never did hit a bigger home run, but one man did. And of all the many hours I've spent listening, as many of you know, this is still my favorite radio moment ever. He's sitting on 714. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 715. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. Henry Aaron is coming around third. His teammates are at home plate, and listen to this crowd. Baseball HQ Radio. I still get chills every time. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David, joined by Ray Murphy from Baseball HQ, Todd Zola from Masters Ball and ESPN and uh, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. No, it's not, is it, Todd? It's regular Sirius XM. Like, well, it's both. It's just they don't let me talk in the Fantasy Channel after uh, after July. It's good to have you both back. We're doing a roundtable talking about the season just passed. Uh, let's look ahead now to the season to come in 2021. There's going to be lots of hand-wringing, as Todd mentioned earlier, about how do we project players based on a 60-game sample instead of the usual 160-game sample. And uh, we don't need to talk about that. It's been hashed over. But I am curious about particular players. And I'd like to start with a pitcher that you guys think is likely or most likely to move into the first round and be worth it. Todd, let's start with you because you're one of the projections guys. Uh, Shane Bieber, and I dropped my mic, except it's connected to my headset. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go with Lucas Giolito. Giolito had a 348 ERA and a 104 whip, and that's counting an opening day stinker where he went three and two-thirds, allowed seven runs and ten base runners. If you take that away, it's a 273-095, which compares pretty favorably with some of the other pitchers. Uh, Ray, who do you think moves into the first round and earns first-round value? This is not to say I have strong disagreements with either of your picks, but I'm going to go in a different direction, and I'm going to say you, Darvish, uh, mostly because I am a fan of anybody in the short season who confirmed something we already thought, and Darvish here has carried over the seemingly overnight magical control gains he made in the second half of 2019. So now we've got essentially a combined full season of him suddenly having pinpoint control to go along with the stuff and the, and the swing and miss and everything else we already liked about his profile. The walks that were his bugaboo have now seemed to, uh, you know, they seem to vanish at the end of last year and he's now reconfirmed that. So, you know, there are still some concerns there about age and durability, but, you know, you can say that about just about every pitcher. If Max Scherzer is going to be hanging around the first round, uh, I would take uh, Darvish before him. 
Before we go on, guys, this is something we didn't uh, plan to talk about, but it just popped into my head. In a sentence or two, Ray, what do you think of Clayton Kershaw's chances of repeating the tremendously uh, high-value season that he's had this season that seemed to come right out of nowhere? Uh, This might be a case where I'm not putting as much stock in the 60-game season because... Yeah, he stayed healthy for 55 innings. We've seen him do that before. It's a, it's a different thing to stay healthy for 170, 180. Uh, you know, clearly the Dodgers were, you know, managing him and getting him ready for the playoffs, which is fine. You know, that's not to diminish the accomplishments he's made, but we know Kershaw can be very, very good for two months at a time. And he can certainly do that again in 2021. But this doesn't necessarily move the needle for me about his ability to do it for six months. Todd? No, I'm with Ray. I think the exactly you can plan on a good skill level, but I think you need to project him for 24, 26 starts. And it, it, it showed that he's not in a skills decline, which is a good thing because that may counterbalance the normal age-related decline that we bake into these things. But, yeah, I think if you're expecting any more than 26 starts, you, uh, you, you, that's a little optimistic. Now, not to say he won't get 30, but I think you need to expect 24, 25, 26. Even if he's not injured, the Dodgers may just give him that little mini break anyway, you know, just to, because he's not injured, you know, so I, in that long season. Plus, in in the long season, I think we've alluded to it, uh, you know, I'm not going to call it the Verducci effect, but, I mean, the, the, these guys aren't getting the number of innings they've gotten in the past. So let, let's see how everybody's workload is managed next year, other than Trevor Bauer, you know, who'll pitch 300 innings. But um, let's see how everybody's workload will be managed next year due to the, 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 the limited number of innings that were accrued this season. Let's move on to the hitter most likely to move into the 2021 first round and be worth it. I'll start here. I'm going to be watching Tim Anderson next year, a five-category player, not as many stolen bases perhaps as in the past, but still a contributor with the bags. And uh, listen to these uh, HQ values over the last four seasons, including this year, fifteen dollars increase each year, $6 in the last transition. I like that trajectory a lot, and I think Tim Anderson is really coming into his own. Uh, Ray, who do you think could uh, sneak into the first round and pay off? I think it was your MVP choice, uh, PD, but I'm going to go with Manny Machado. uh, For, you know, he had fallen down a little bit this year. His ADP was down around around 4-5, I think, coming off a disappointing 2019 I, not only did he bounce back, you know, in his individual production level, but obviously the rising tide in San Diego and the uh, you know the overall run production in that lineup boosted his counting stats. The other the other nice thing there is he started running again, and you know he, he's only stole five bases in a full 2019, but he's stolen six this year. So if we can ink him in for even a low double digit stolen base total next year, that does wonders for his value. And really, I, I think puts him as a viable late first round pick for as a uh, you know potential five category contributor. Todd Fernando Tatis Jr. was not drafted with a first round ADP, so again, I'm, maybe it's the easy way out. But now you guys have named some good names to talk about. But I'll go with Tatis and again drop the proverbial mic. Uh, oh, we're gonna mix it up in a minute, Todd. <laughs> okay, ah, I see. Ah, I know where you're gonna go, but that's good. Oh, that's that. That's good. Um, I think he's gonna. Uh, I think he he'll be just fine. Who's the pitcher most likely to move into the 2021 first round and not be worth the pick, Ray? I had a hard time finding one of these. 
I don't want you know, I, so I'll, I'll throw Aaron Nola on the pile. That's not to really impugn him, but I like him a little less than all three of the guys we talked about. You know, we dominated in the other half of this answer, the Giolito, Bieber, and Darvish. So if you know, if if if, if and there's, I, I think those are the three right answers. And if there's, basically, I. Anybody else who gets pushed up that that far seems too high to me. I'll throw Noah in as the placeholder for that. Todd? I'm going to go with a guy I've tongue-in-cheek joked about a couple times. I'm going to go with Trevor Bauer. And uh, part of the reason I I think I mentioned earlier about the first segment about I outsourced some names. I wasn't sure what other than the, the, the main three, Garrett Cole, uh, Jacob deGrom, and Shane Bieber, what pitchers would be in the first round. And a lot of people, they mentioned Darvish and they mentioned Bauer. Uh, so... Bauer, it, it, you'd like to think that guys give their all all the time, but it's kind of apparent that that Bauer was playing with a chip on his shoulder this season, and that's something you can carry off for 12, 13 starts. I don't know that you can carry it off at thirty-two. So yeah, I just I think I think fair. we're seeing I think we're seeing a, a downgrade. He may still be very good, but you have to be really good to be in the first round. I think he has a talent. I just don't know he's going to be able to sustain it. I don't think he's going to be able to carry that chip for a full season. So Bauer's my, my reply. Yeah, that's a good one. And, you know, at this point, we don't know where he's going to be pitching. And, we, yep. you know, he's, ta- he's talked about, you know, betting on himself with one-year contracts for the rest of his career. We don't know if he's actually going to do that. And, you know, yeah, there, there's a lot of unknowns there. So right now, would I take him in the first round? I, I think probably no. And I'd like to see where, you know, when we have more information, my answer may change. But I, I don't disagree at all. Yeah, Bauer was my pick as well. I looked at Corbin Burns, but I didn't think he was going to move into the first round based on basically a single year of accomplishment. But I think Trevor Bauer, not only because of what he's done on the field, but because he's so controversial that there, we know that there's a subset of fantasy players who just like to be controversial and sort of ride the coattails of Trevor Bauer as far as look at how brave and interesting I am. I took Trevor Bauer in the first round type of thing. And uh, there's every chance because we his career path has been good season, bad season, good season, bad season. And uh, until he shows a little more year-to-year consistency, I think uh, anybody who's taking uh, Trevor Bauer in the first round is really rolling the dice. It could pay off, but I bet it that it probably isn't likely to. Uh, let's move over to the hitters. Uh, Todd, who do you think is a hitter who's going to move into the first round and uh, disappoint his owners? All right, well, this is a guy that I would not, have thought would move into the first but he was again with my crowdsourcing he was named by a lot of people uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna go with alex bregman uh again i don't think he's a first rounder which which means which is sort of piggybacks why i don't think he'll succeed but enough people in my twitter crowdsourcing listed him uh that i feel comfortable that you guys can't come back and say he's not a first rounder uh, and I think he fell first, just out of the first round this year. So I'm going to go. I know he was drafted in the first round in some leagues, but uh, you know the overall ADP was outside. So I'm going to go with Bregman. Sorry, Larry. I'm going to go with Whit Merrifield, the uh, Kansas City outfielder. Had a, another fine year, and he's been very consistent. Always kind of floating around the end of the first round, start of the second round type of uh, ADPs over the last few years. 
but the stolen bases seem to be disappearing pretty quickly and and he's not getting any younger speed is a young man's game i just don't know that uh, uh, that if i had a choice near the end of the first round between whit merrifield and tim anderson i know which way that i would lean and it wouldn't be towards whit merrifield who may not be in the first round anyway because he's never been but he's having another good year and it's a possibility ray who's a hitter you think might move into the first round but not be worth it Fernando Tatis, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I no, let's talk about this for a second because I think I think it's pretty interesting. Um, I, I think I was I don't think it was on our pod PD, but I think it was on one of the uh, HQ roundtables we did on video on the site um, over the summer that um, I actually predicted that Tatis would um, be the be this guy, the guy who established first round value in twenty twenty, and then uh, sort of yanked everyone's chains and broke their hearts in twenty one uh, as a result, and. I was worried coming into this season about the short track record, the injury history, the way he plays, you know, with such abandon and whether he can, uh, you know, stay on the field. And yeah, he did that for 60 games this year, but it's only 60 games. And he's kind of gone cold in the last month, very quietly here for all of the buzz about quietly (laughs) for all the, for all the buzz about how awesome August was. September has been a crash back down to earth. The same thing happened last August before he got shut down early you know, I don't know that the way he plays can put, can, can, can sustain over 162. And I don't know that I want to pay for that. Someone absolutely is going to do it. It's just not going to be me. He's going to be number one, Ray. Well, you know, with the, with the, with the recent dip, maybe not that conversation is quelled, but he's listed in everybody's top five. And I, I just, yeah. I know what you're saying. There's still some skills improvement within, you know, at the end of the year, we're still going to say he, he, he improved his plate skills, which I think is a good thing, but um, I guess we'll see. I'm not as worried about the injury, the injury, the injury concern because uh, it's he. he I, I'm not as concerned about it, but I, I, I no dispute with the answer. It's certainly plausible. It is plausible, and it's an interesting conversation to have. I don't know if you guys remember, but. Uh, uh, Ron Chandler's BAB system before the season, this isn't back in March, uh, boldly predicted that Fernando Tatis would be the most valuable player in all of baseball and should be the first overall pick. And of course, no, not many people listened. I wish I had instead of taking Cody Bellinger, that's for sure. But uh, I think there's also a lot of trends and worries uh, that, uh, that make Fernando Tatis feel like a dangerous sort of pick for the first round. But before we move on, let's just ask, who, who do you think is going to be the consensus first overall pick and uh, maybe the cup, first couple of overall picks, shall we say, and, and who should they be if not uh, who actually gets picked? Uh, Ray, what do you think? I have not looked at, I've looked at that at all yet. Um, I'm going to guess that you know incumbency matters and consistency matters and Trout's going to still be in that top three i'm I'm assuming mookie betts is going to be there tatis is probably going to be there um i assume acuna gets a pass on his slow start and he'll be back in that mix who am i forgetting todd you aren't other than shane bieber i'm not saying we feel this way but that's you know that that, that, you know those are those are the uh the guys and cole's got to be right there too right yeah i mean yellich is dropping down a bit uh but i think yeah those those are the those are the guys considered i think uh if nothing else, Trout has, you know, we're talking about Kershaw. The the fact Trout stayed healthy for 60 and only missed the paternity leave can only help the the games projected, the, the playing time. I mean, 
he was you know top three, and we were all projecting him to miss some time. I think we'll project him to miss a little less time. It's not going to be 158 games, but uh, you know I think his skills were better than Acuna and Yelich and and Betts, but he fell down a little bit because of playing time. I think that gets raised up a bit, and I think at least by the algebraic formulaic systems, he'll be coming out number one. Whether whether the drafters agree or not, we'll see. Yeah, the question there for me is going to be whether uh, you know he's only stolen one base this year, and if there's still if he's now a single digit stolen base guy, I, that might be enough to ding him out of the top spot for me. It could, it could. Um, but then you know, so then you've got another tier just to take it a little bit further. I assume you're going to throw Jose Ramirez and Trey Turner and Juan um, Soto, Juan Soto for sure, and Story, and now you're, you know maybe a couple of the other pitchers we were talking about, and you know we've almost filled up a first round there, right? Yeah, well, so exactly. I, those are exactly the names, and I, I've had Freddie Freeman yeah. in my in my list that I sent out. Uh, I had Freddie Freeman just as someone. I, I purposely left two spots to degenerate some conversation, but yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I, I have a draft uh, this weekend. The uh, an NFPC draft. I partnered with Derek Van Riper, and we have the ace pick. We haven't we haven't talked yet, but you know we're you know Story and Ramirez and Trey Turner. I don't usually like the middle, but the fact that I get to talk with DVR. Derek Van Riper about the pick, you know, being in the middle, you know, talk, I think it might be a little better, but yeah, loving, loving, loving the, I mean, we could even go picture at that point. Right. So yeah. we should be able to do anything. So it's going to be a wild first round. And I have, there were some interesting names that were, and, you know, people follow me on Twitter at Todd Zola. They can look at the, look at some of the responses to see how some people feel about, uh, about the first round and, and, and players in general It's an interesting Twitter, uh, Twitter exchange. And to circle back to the point that got us on this tangent, I just off the cuff, off the cuff, every hitter that we forget the pitchers for a second, every hitter that we named as a first rounder on that list, I would take before Tatis. Wow, I'll put him at the end of the at the first clump. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll have to little bit digger, little bit. I can't say what I hope. But he can see what he does over the next four games, but uh, <laughs> that wouldn't that doesn't make. Although he's going to play a lot more than four games into the playoffs. But um, it's 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 kind of hard. I don't know because uh, I was down on him coming in, not down on him, but I was lower on him coming in. So I I start from a lower baseline. So um, I can see it, once you factor risk in, and I don't you know I know I want to get some speed too, so I want to teach. Well, just take Tate Turner then because he's yeah. proven over years. So I can see using the forget the rankings in a value or values in a vacuum once you start factoring in some of these other factors, which one should be doing, and I don't do enough, I can see the uh, adding the risk factor in why Tatis would be, all right, 12th pick, I have to take him now. Sure. I, that's, you know, I, I have a, we'll see what happens when I've gone through our projections and, you know, and fully baked this. This is a, right. uh, this is a, uh, a half-baked thought at this point, but that's where I'm leaning right now. You guys mentioned a couple of players, I think, who could climb up towards the top three or four, and that's Turner and Story. Uh, Story never seems to get uh, enough credit for the seasons that he's been having. The the knock for the longest time was that he couldn't stay healthy, but he has stayed healthy the last couple of years, and he's really putting up ex- extraordinary numbers across the board. Uh, and, of course, you got to like anybody who's playing in that ballpark uh, over a full season as well. Uh, let's move along. Uh, who's a pitcher you think is going to be taken outside the first round but will return first-round value? And I guess uh, I'll go first here. We mentioned Denelson Lamette earlier. He's having a $30 season, and he's actually older than a lot of people think. Uh, I believe he's 28 or so. Uh, somebody could look that up. 
Uh, six innings per start, which is something of value. Uh, ERA right around two, uh, a whip under one. He's striking out more than 12 guys per nine. He's walking uh, two and a half or something like that. So his uh, strikeout per walk rate is really good. Uh, he's a high strikeout, high fly ball guy, which, uh, as our friend Gene McCaffrey says, is something that you, you can't overlook. Don't always assume those high fly ball guys are going to be bad pitchers because Denelson Lamette seems to be proving that that's not always the case. Uh, Ray, who's a, who's a non-first-round pitcher that could return first-round value in 2021? Uh, I might be cheating or not going far enough out on the limb here by taking a guy who has returned first round value before, uh, but I'm going to go with Blake Snell. Uh, you know, going back to the spring and last off season, you know, we had some concerns about his arm and he has been very good lately and very good this season after, you know, a slow start took him a while to ramp up. But if he comes into 2021, you know, coming off a fully healthy end of this season, obviously we still need to see the postseason, but a fully healthy season and off-season program and ready to hit the ground running, I would not be at all surprised in 2021 to see him get back to the 2018 $40 form. And Todd? PD, you and I are in lockstep as to how this pitcher will do. I just don't think Lucas Giolito is a first rounder this year. Therefore, he will move into the he, he's outside of the first round and yet produce first round value. So I'm going to go with Lucas Giolito. All right, uh, moving along, uh, how about a hitter likely to be taken outside the first round, but he's going to return first round value, uh, Ray Murphy, who do you like? You know, we we were talking with um the um rookie battle between Kyle Lewis and Luis Robert about, uh, you know, those power speed young outfielders. And, you know, I, I think both of those guys have a little too much uh, contact slash batting average issue to make this kind of a jump. But there's another guy of the same class, um, the same profile who I think can do it. And that's Kyle Tucker. Uh, he's been hanging up the, you know, the power and speed so far in his short season. He's established himself finally, in that Houston lineup that it seems like it took him forever to jump into. But, you know, 270 with nine homers and seven stolen bases in under 200 at-bats and a expected batting average and fully back, backs the batting average. Throw in a little bit of growth here, and you could see, uh, you know, 280, 290, 300 with, you know, I mean, you know, simple extrapolation is this is, you know, potentially a 25-25 sort of thing. Todd? Yeah, you may have heard me ground, groan a little bit. Yeah, that was my that was my pick was was Tucker. Again, thought I was gonna you know be a you know wow I didn't think of that. Can't see this room. I, that's not that's not heard of. That's that that word is not said in this room a lot. So I will just quickly. We've talked so much about him. Timmy Anderson uh, is 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 you know for all the reasons everybody said so far. I think he's drafted outside of the first round and can easily produce first round value. I'm probably not going to surprise anybody with my pick. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, I think, is going to move up pretty substantially. Uh, one thing that I don't think he gets enough credit for is that he, he steals some bases. Uh, he's not going to make anybody forget Trey Turner, but he does get some bags, and uh, the power is for real. And something that a lot of uh, the analysts up here in uh, the Toronto area have been talking about, Teoscar, and the Blue Jays in general, is the influence of Dante Bichette 
in the uh, in the team's hitting philosophy. He's not the hitting coach, but he he does travel with the team. He's in the dugout every night, and you can see the players coming off the field after their plate appearances. And one of the first places they often go is to go sit down and talk with Dante Bichette about what just happened. And Bichette's philosophy that he's trying to to promulgate in the team, which has helped Bo Bichette as well, is to be different when you're behind in the count and have two strikes than the rest of the time. We know that uh, because of the quants and the analysts around Major League Baseball that there's a swing from the heels every pitch regardless because in in the long run you'll work out with a few more home runs and that'll help your overall performance. But Dante Bichette seems to be encouraging the Toronto hitters to be a little more defensive, shorten up, go the opposite way, these kinds of things. And it's it's de- it's definitely helping a lot of the players, including Teoscar Hernandez. He's he's hitting 300 this year, which a lot of people find to be a surprise. But, you know, if a guy can put the bat on the ball a little more often with two strikes, he's going to get a few hits here and there. And it doesn't take that many hits, especially in a short season, I understand, to, to raise up the old batting average. Uh, Moving along, and we've kind of been talking about this, but let's go a little deeper and try to find a sleeper for 2021 you think could pan out. And when I say pan out, I don't mean first-round value. I just mean a good, solid profit, good, real good support for a fantasy team. Uh, Todd, let's start with you this time, and I'll keep track. Uh, you know, I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't think sleeper. I wish I just thought of lower, lower drafted guy because I was like, who's a sleeper? Who's a sleeper? Sure. Um, I'm, you know, I, but I came up with a couple names. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use Zach Eflin as, as my guy. I think that people will point towards some of the expected metrics and how he's been some uh, unlucky. Although regression has been in his, in his favor the last couple of days, and maybe one more start. But I love what I'm seeing under, the, under the hood with Zach Eflin, and it's, uh, it's a fun name to say and, and to make puns about. I'll go with another Zach, uh, Zach Gallon. I think uh, could be. Uh... Not exactly a sleeper, but he, he's having a, uh, just a sort of year that uh, won't draw a, a huge amount of attention. And I think he's showing a lot of skills uh, that portend well for his future. He's still relatively young as well. So uh, I'm going to have Zach Gallon on my sleeper sheet next year. Uh, Ray, who do you like? This is tough, you know, because sleeper to me always means somebody who I like a lot better than you know, where they're being drafted and we don't know where anybody's being drafted yet. So I might very well be throwing out a name here that everyone's going to be all over. Uh, but uh, I'm going to try with uh, Jared Kalenic, wondering if the fact that there was no minor league season and that he spent the summer at the alternate site will sort of keep him off the radar other than, you know, compared to what would have happened if he had spent the year mashing double and triple A pitching. Uh, maybe, 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 you know, if you compare him to, Louis Robert from this year, maybe he's going several rounds lower than that, but could have a similar impact. I don't know. We'll see when uh, draft season gets in full swing if uh, you know if he's fully priced up or not. But that's uh, that's one thing I'm going to check in on early in the offseason. Can I can I sneak in one more name sure. before we move on? Um, my one A to Eflin was Josh Lindblom, and I think mm. people were down on him, you know, or, or high on him because of the. You know, why not the devil? We don't know. And, you know, that sort of thing in the numbers. Uh, he's another guy whose expected stats are much better than the actual stats. So I think that uh, I think people who were maybe soured on Lindblom because of, uh, you know, they've been burnt. I think he's another guy who's uh, pitched a lot better than the metrics suggest uh, than the, the than the surface stats suggest. 
And before we move on, a name uh, I forgot to mention in my diatribe about uh, the influence of Dante Bichette is Rowdy Tellez in Toronto, who's benefited maybe more than anybody with a two-strike approach that has been remarkably different this year than in past years. He's having a really good year, and he may fall down because uh, he missed a lot of games uh, towards the end of this short season. He's actually out for the year. I think Rowdy Tellez is going to play a part in a pretty good Jays offense in the years to come. And next year, I'm not saying he's going to get, you know, be a reserve round pick or a 23rd round pick, but I, I think if Rowdy Tellez can get a full season in, I think he could be a, a real good sleeper for 2021 coming off of a injury shortened, shortened year. Uh, moving along, how about a sleeper that's not going to pan out? Seems like a weird kind of question. Uh, Todd, why don't you go first? Yeah, I, this is, I struggled the most on this again. What's a sleeper? What's a sleeper? Uh, I'm going to go Nate Lowe just because I think that people may have him on their sleeper list. He came up the end of this year uh, showing decent power and decent plate uh, discipline, uh, but he still strikes out a ton. And even though he's a lefty, which is the good side, well, it's always the good side in the platoon. Tampa loves their platoons, but they also like to go with the hot man. And Lowe does not fit into their – he doesn't have the, the, the normal the flexibility to play other positions like like Tampa loves. So I just think he, he goes into a slump. He, you know, the, 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 the strikeouts overtake the the walks. The power's not there. He could lose the job. So to me, uh, I'm going to put Nate Lowe as a sleeper who doesn't pan out. My pick's going to be Victor Reyes of Detroit. He's having a good year with uh, stolen bases. He's hitting about 280 or so the last time I checked. Uh, he doesn't score a lot of runs, doesn't drive in a lot of runs because of the lineup over there, but uh, 4% walk rate. He, he makes contact well enough at 77%, but uh, relatively low power index indicates there's no power to be had here. And uh, the stolen bases, hey, you got to get on base first. And uh, his on-base percentage is barely over 300 because of the low walk rate. I think Victor Reyes might be touted as a potential sleeper next year, but I just don't think it's going to work because there's too many ways to get him out. Uh, Ray, who do you like, or, not for, or I guess who do you dislike for sleeper next year? I My answer here was Jordan Alvarez. Uh, if come draft season next year, he people are plugging him right back into where he was this year and expecting, oh, he got his knees cleaned up, he'll be fine, he'll go back to being the you know slugging DH in the middle of the Astros lineup. I'm out on that, mostly because you know, a bulky 23-year-old with not one but two bad knees worries me to begin with. And then from the larger strategic point of view, you know, Todd mentioned earlier the lessons that we could take from this year about the value of roster flexibility. And, you know, I'm probably more adamant than ever about not clogging up my DH spot, especially with a guy who has risk of not even being able to stay healthy in the DH role. So, uh, you know, I if, if Alvarez is getting bit up to – you know, where his ADP was last, last, last spring, I'm out. And finally, guys, let's move on to the prospects. Uh, we've had some call-ups this year who have done really well. Uh, who's somebody who got called up this year who you think is going to be a big breakout potential star in 2021? Uh, Ray, let's start with you. I'm going first. I don't want to take two names. I don't want to hit two and I'll come around to the end again. I don't want to take your names away. Uh, let me start with Gavin Lux. Uh, you know, he... You know, the Dodgers played it very, very cautiously with him as they're in the you know, win-now win mode and have talent all over the place. I assume they will finally cut him loose next year in terms of, you know, giving him an everyday job and letting him run with it. And, uh, you know, we've seen very brief flashes of it this year. There was a two-home run game shortly after they activated him, that sort of thing. I expect big things from him once the Dodgers take the training wheels off. 
Okay, Todd? I'm going to – I like this guy. I think looking at the under the hood, maybe not quite as much as I thought I did, but I'm going to go Ryan Mountcastle. It's more of the eye. When I'm watching, watching the games, I'm impressed. And not, not that they're – in today's day and age, like an eight-and-a-half walk rate and a 23% K rate, they're not terrible anymore. But I thought they were better than that just by, by the eye test. And I know he's going to regress off a of 397 BABIP, et cetera. But I think maybe relative to his prospect status, I think Ryan Mountcastle is going to be a more, a more productive player than people may have thought coming in, you know, ranking prospects. And it's going to be so tough. We haven't even talked about this yet. Just what do we do with prospects, you know, MLEs, et cetera, when we bake that into our, our 2021 forecasts and expectations? But uh, give me Mountcastle. And I'm going to go a little farther out on a limb. Uh, Tariq Skubal in Detroit has not been super impressive. He's got an ERA over six. But I because I, I had him on one of my teams, so I was watching a few of his starts, and I, I I didn't look this up, but I bet you he might lead the league in runners bequeath that the that the bullpen allowed to score, because he's just got very little bullpen support from the Tigers bullpen, which is obviously a fairly weak outfit in the first place. But he seems to have, and you're talking about the eye test, Todd. I watched this guy pitch, and it just seems like he's super comfortable out there to an extent that makes me confident that he, because he doesn't feel like he's overmatched, he might not be overmatched. He's figuring things out. He, he's got uh, a lot of stuff. He's got, he's got really uh, excellent command. Uh, I like Tariq Skubal, and I think he's going to be a very, very late-round guy next year, uh, borderline sleeper, in fact, or probably a sleeper full stop because of the bad numbers coming out of this year. But, boy, uh, I think he could be uh, really something. And, Ray, you had a second guy? I was going to give a vote of confidence to Joe Odell, too. He's been terrible in the majors. Okay. That's, yep. that, that's kind of the opposite of you know what Todd was saying with Mount, Mount Castle. This is a case where I'm relying on the prospect pedigree and giving him a pass on his first 100 at-bats or whatever it was. There's a, you know, there's a teammate of his by the name of Trout who also had a terrible first 100 at-bats and went bananas in his, uh, in his full season the next year. I'm not saying Adele's going to do that, but you know, there's, a, there's, there's good reason to give him a, uh, give him a mulligan on 100 at-bats as he transitions to the majors. Oh, by the way, in the middle of a pandemic. Was Trout this bad in his first 100 at-bats? It was pretty bad. In the, A-Rod uh, was, right? A-Rod was yeah. sent back down. Yeah, and he's very young, I'll say that. Uh, and let's wrap this up, guys. Uh, a prospect who was called up, maybe did pretty well, you think is a chance to be a bust in 2021, way overdrafted. Uh, we'll start this one again with Todd. I don't think he did very well, and I had trouble with this one as well. I'm not a prospect. I'm going to go Daz Cameron. I think that the I think the Tigers will be forced to give him a shot, whether or not there's a minors next year or not. It'll be 24 He's already spent half a season in AAA, actually almost a whole season in AAA, and he has not purported himself very well thus far, the, the plate discipline. So, I mean, by the letter of the law, he was called up, and I think he will give it a chance last year, and I think he'll bust big. Right? I'm going to go with Bobby Dahlbeck. Uh, seven home runs and 68 at-bats, and his uh, cup of coffee with the Red Sox might turn a lot of heads, but uh, you know, the 50% contact rate is positive with Joey Gallo-esque, and I am not not at all convinced that this guy is Joey Gala. Yeah, I liked Dahlbeck for this call as well. Uh, I'm also going to throw in a mention of Joe Adele 
oddly enough, that uh, Ray picked. Uh, Joe Adele, the fall off from what he was doing in the minors to what he's done in the majors has been so dramatic. And the uh, especially the the ability to put the bat on the ball has declined so much. He's got 52 strikeouts in the big leagues this year and just over 100 at-bats. He had 111 strikeouts in 400 and some at-bats a couple of years ago in, uh, in crossing three le- levels of the minors. I just think that sometimes there's guys who hit that hit that major league barrier, and it's the toughest one to get over. We like the fact that he went up three levels, and we like the fact that he went up three levels again. And and although he got st- he started 2019 going back a level, so they must have seen something there. And then they brought him up because uh, maybe I don't know they had to sell tickets, or of course they couldn't sell tickets this year. So, but they had to create some kind of interest in the team. I don't know. I think Joe Adele could be a bust. I think he's going to get drafted higher than he should at least to, to put it uh, bluntly so guys uh, that wraps it up uh, i want to thank you for your support all during this year and especially for this round table uh, ray murphy what are you going to be doing in the off season uh i'm already working on the uh, 2021 baseball forecaster and uh come thanksgiving or so i'll come out of my cave on that and maybe uh maybe we'll fire up the podcast then again pd and start talking about uh 2021 with some actual numbers in front of us to work with that would be fun uh, todd what are you going to be doing when uh, of course we're, we're all going to watch the playoffs but once the snow starts to fly and uh, we don't have baseball to look at anymore might not have very much sports at all to look at depending on what goes on with the uh, hockey and basketball but what are you going to be doing yeah i uh I mentioned i'm starting projections too i launched november 1st to to meet the nfbc early draft those wackos that like to draft early and They've proven they'll draft through pandemic, so I'm assuming they'll draft again. So pretty much what I'll be doing there is uh, what I've always done and uh, get my projections out. And this year they're going to take more hand massaging than I think ever before. And uh, it should be it should be quite a uh, – I think Ray and I will both uh, spend more time pulling hair, what little hair we have left, out over things that we used to allow our engines to take care of but now may have to uh, massage on our own. It's going to be a lot more art and a lot less science, I think. Yeah. Gentlemen, stop your engines. Ray Murphy, uh, thanks very much for helping us out, not just here at the roundtable, but all season as our uh, American League Market Watch news analyst. And Todd, thank you also very much for uh, contributing to the podcast and for everything you do for Tout Wars and fantasy baseball in general. It's a pleasure to have both of you on. Uh, Ray, thanks. Thank you, PD. Thanks for all your great work here this year. Fantastic job. Todd, thank you very much. I'd like to thank you both, as always, and looking forward to the next time we meet in person. Knock on wood next spring, but uh, good luck, Ray, with the uh, – I know you guys are t- talking about having a visual first pitch to make up for the lack of first pitch Arizona, so uh, good luck with that. Thank you. We will certainly be in touch about that. Is it going to be like video? Yeah, probably. Because the camera adds a couple hundred pounds. <laughs> All good. <laughs> And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, September 25th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 29 of the 2020 Fantasy Baseball season, our last scheduled show of the year. As I mentioned, we might have a show or two as winter rolls around, depending on what goes on. Pay attention to the usual methods to see if we do that. In the meantime, one last thank you to our guests today, Ray Murphy and Todd Zola, always great supporters of the podcast and great guests to have on the show. I'm Patrick Davitt. 
the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. I also have a personal Twitter feed at Patrick David. Like to see you there. You can follow me and you will always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. Take a second to go to your podcatcher and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. It does help us find new listeners, and that keeps the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again sooner or later with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Wear your masks, stay safe, be good, and we'll talk to you when we talk to you. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.